Sergeant Dale. It's Jerry. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to It's On The List. I am your co-host, Jerry Hartman. And I'm your co-host, Sammy Holty. And we are back today with a banger of an episode. We're going to be talking about Sergei Eisenstein's Ivan the Terrible films, specifically part two, but we're going to touch on both. And then we'll be talking about George Lucas's Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. And I think similarly to the Ivan the Terrible films, we're going to focus on three, but I'm sure we'll broadly kind of end up talking about the prequels. Yeah, intertwining everything for sure. Right, right. Yeah, well, this is an exciting episode, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped to uh, get into it. And I'm sorry, uh, listeners, for missing last week, but uh, we are back in full force now for the rest of the summer, so we won't let up. Hell yeah. And before we really dive into everything, I've been slightly under the weather the past two days, so we're recording this one remotely. So if you hear noises from my street or from the cat or anything like that, apologies in advance, but we're still going to bring you the goods. We try our best. So, Sergei Eisenstein, father of the Soviet montage, uh, the pioneer of cross-cutting, what's, what's your relationship to Eisenstein? Um, well, I definitely got my first taste of him when I was in my, my first year of film school. Uh, you know, Battleship Potemkin is kind of like the, the staple uh, mm-hmm. historical film that, that every professor pushes on their students, which I'm thankful for because it's an amazing film. Um, but yeah, it started, I guess, then three and a half years ago was my first introduction to uh, Eisenstein. And, um, you know, I've seen quite a few films since and even done some writing on on Strike, um, Love October, obviously seen both Ivans before this viewing and um, love them both. And then I've seen a couple of his shorts as well. So I would say I'm a massive fan and have huge respect for him and pretty much love all of his movies. So uh, that is my relationship. How about you, Jer? Yeah, pretty similar. Uh, I saw Battleship Potemkin sometime in high school and, and on my own accord, actually, but just because I was kind of getting into video editing. And I obviously, if you even get slightly into video editing, it's you can't go far without running into Eisenstein's name. So I watched Battleship Potemkin and uh, yeah, mind blowing, amazing. Uh, since then, I've probably seen not as many as you. I still haven't seen Strike, even though it's something that I've seen like bits of in film classes and things like that. Like I'm aware of the whole like, you know, cross cutting between the animals and the action and that kind of stuff. But um, sure. yeah, Love October have had also seen both Ivan the Terribles before this episode, but still pretty recently, just like probably two months ago or something like that. And I watched them like on a plane and I was really tired and it was noisy. I still loved them, but it was definitely a necessary rewatch. Oh yeah, uh, before I mean, re- recording this, we had mentioned this before too. But I was I was sick in Japan watching on an iPad, like bedridden. So uh, that was when we did that one episode, our, our our yearly recap, is when around the time that I watched part one and two. So it was also really nice to watch it on on a, on a bigger TV with some some good sound. The only thing that uh, was a little bit uh, sad was just uh, there was some some lawn mowing going on outside. So, but but nonetheless, it was, was still amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, what, what can you do? Small small price to pay for these these glorious images. So, before we dive into the films themselves, I think we should kind of just talk about the background of the production of them, which is quite interesting and ends up kind of informing what the films are getting at themselves. So, these movies were commissioned by Stalin. He commissioned Eisenstein to make this, basically thinking 
you know, he's going to make these cool ass epics that valorize Ivan and, you know, promote Russian unity. Just solid propaganda is what he was going for. And yeah, long story short, um, part one was sort of subtle enough with its intentions that it got by Stalin and he was cool with it. And, uh, Part two took it a little too far, and um, Stalin was not too pleased at um, the depiction of royalty and power and what it kind of was saying about Stalin himself. So it was actually supposed to be three parts, and um, Eisenstein died in 1948, and part two wasn't released till 10 years later because of Stalin's reaction to it. So then once powers changed in Russia a bit, it became available, but um, before... The filming even began just during pre-production. It was during World War II. This was when Eisenstein was writing it. And uh, German bleh, German troops were getting close to Moscow. And basically the whole Soviet Union film industry went to Almaty in Kazakhstan. And so during these delays, Eisenstein was just drawing tons of illustrations and storyboards. And he read hundreds of books and just totally like immersed himself into this world. And um, one thing I read, and after this, we can get more into the actual making sure, of sure. it. But um, No worries, this is super interesting, because I only I only knew, like, a little bit of, obviously, Stalin's reaction and, that you know, there being a part three, but I didn't know all, all the other extra details, so I'm interested. Keep going. Cool. I, I did a little surface dive, but, um, yeah, so anyway, he had just, like, so many books of illustrations, and he himself was reading so much about the history and whatnot, and apparently, like, a lot of his directing style was making the actors stand in, like, the exact poses that he drew, no matter how comfortable wow. or uncomfortable they were. And uh, apparently the way he <laughs> kind of, like, got things chill on set, despite his sort of demanding, like, physical process, was that he was, like, a big jokester. Apparently he was good at just <laughs> diffusing tension on these sets because people would be like, dude, this Amazing. is, like, hurting my back. I can't do this. And he would just, like, kind of roast them and make some jokes, and then they'd keep filming. <laughs> but, ah, you're right. You're right, Eisenstein. My bad. Yeah, literally. So like, literally that. But um, it is very interesting and definitely ties into this film's mode of, like, theatricality and performance, just these hyper-specific big gestures but anyway that that's oh, yeah. basically the background i got on it it was supposed to be a trilogy there are a couple little like drawings and ideas that exist for the third one but other than that it's just totally incomplete but well, we got two of them. Look them up i would love to look them up and see what those look like or just any of them honestly in general uh just relative to if we if you could line them up with some of the shots in the film just to see right totally totally so i guess we we can just kind of talk both parts simultaneously or part one, then part two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, it's fun to think of them kind of as a combined film, you know, to a certain degree, just part one and two, you watch them back to back. It's just, you know, a continuation. Obviously there's, there's quite a bit of difference in storytelling between the two, but uh, we could, we could talk about them just, just together. I think that'll be easier and uh, more enjoyable for both us and the, the uh, audience. Yeah, for sure. Like, and no, it, actually, that was in part one. Actually, that was in part two. We can kind of just go chronologically across and, and talk about it. Right, right, exactly. And it definitely, like, there is a broad, very, like, trackable progression between the two that makes watching them kind of back-to-back -back a, a very rewarding experience. But, yeah, I mean, it, it opens with 
you know, the, the flames and the Russian song over the opening credits and, and the lyrics of the song basically kind of set up like what's going on. Like the lyrics are literally just like, yeah, here's Ivan. Like it kind of just starts <laughs> setting him up. Yeah. And then uh, <clears throat> we obviously open and get the crown. He, he He's he's crowned, uh, you know, king of all Russians, the, the Tsar. And uh, right at the beginning is kind of when we get... Uh, the insight into all the different, um, I guess, families, political parties, the boyars, and and uh, those who are going to stand alongside Ivan or stand against Ivan, um, and 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 uh, yeah, kind of what you were saying earlier, just briefly about the the expressions uh, on on the actors' faces, just tells pretty much everything right at the start of like who's on his side and who's against him and who's going to play him and who's not and. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's it's all and I mean just even prior to the performances, just the first few shots of this like opulent chamber, these giant sets. It's all very grand and operatic. And then what like you were saying, we see as the ceremony's happening, all the people in this big hall, they're they're gossiping about the new czar. And so it it's like two things. We we see how immediate the political maneuvering is, like everybody's already in their politicking, gossiping, etc. But then at the same time, it gives us exposition on who everyone is and it establishes all the relationships 100%. and dynamics. So then when the ensuing betrayals and machinations go down, we're like caught up and we know what they actually mean. Yeah, 100%. I also love, um, I forgot, I mean, I don't know what the character's name is because he was, he was definitely in both films, but very much a side, side character. But basically, everyone that was like shit talking Ivan, saying, "Oh, he's not, he's not ready, he's not fit, he shouldn't be king," the guy was like, uh, "If he's powerful, they will follow," or something like that. And yeah, it yeah. Was like, it was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of kind of, uh, you mentioned just the, the the chamber they were in and all the outfits and everything. I love immediately the the, the first image that just struck me was, or not even image. I, I mean. Uh, was the way that the light was pouring through uh, in the back. And it's like these beams of light that are so thin that they're almost like like violin strings or, or something. They're just so crazy thin. It's, it's, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it, but I don't know why those, every single shot that had those in them, I was like just awestruck. Yeah, totally. It, it's I, I mean, just broadly speaking, it's fucking formally stunning. Like every yeah. single shot, whether that's like some really intense close up on some really like dramatic expression on one of the actors faces or these larger crowd shots in these giant halls, these crazy sets. Or, you know, we get some outdoor stuff, too, especially in the later half of part Dude, one. And the outdoor stuff in part one is insane, too. So insane. Things. Like the missing scene and like just the way he sets up the compositions are like oh it's just crazy i can't even like imagine uh you know just the amount of people that he had you know the 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 lines of people and how he had them kind of string out like snakes either you know down a mountain or out in the background and have himself or ivan you know kind of uh either either in foreground or like prompted at the top as if he's you know just standing atop them um right right for sure insane shit and, and just like the, the way you said, like, um, how they come out like snakes, that was something I was thinking about a lot is just, and this kind of goes back to the very heightened performances, but 
whether it's like individual players or just these big crowd things you're talking about, there's such attention paid to body language and like what that yeah. conveys. I mean, one that stood out to me was uh, the, the aunt, uh, Ephrosinia, like she always just appears so fucking like slippery, slinky, snake-like in that oh, yeah. way. Even when she's, did I love how, you know, obviously this is like a chamber drama, but like it, it feels like they're underground and there's these small little doorways that they have to pass through. And so many times they show her, you know, she has to like basically bend over halfway to crawl through. And it just makes me think of her as like a fucking rat, dude, just scurrying about like, you know, setting up her next scheme, you know, obviously poisoning Ivan's wife, all this other shit. And it, and it, and it just feels like that the entire time is that people are just sneaking and like, plotting and planning like little like little rats yeah um, everyone's and, just a little fucking creep with their own schemes <laughs> yeah. and their plans not to be confused with the with the with the lit creeps and and um right uh, death wish three but right right but. these are these aren't street creeps these are these are royal chamber creeps <laughs> yeah exactly know your di- know the difference guys don't get them twisted yeah i i think um the the tone of the movie is really interesting or uh, of both parts together especially because there's definitely a progression of tone but um part one it's like on its surface it it has that sort of nationalistic propaganda tone but there are enough formal tactics going on that even in part one before shit gets like darker there's like enough formal stuff going on to kind of suggest a darker undercurrent to what we're seeing like just the, the music even in the later parts of part one it gets a lot more intense and darker and also just the the shadows i mean just how like german expression influenced a lot of the form is massive i think uh the peak of the german expressionism for me was actually at the end of part one where ivan uh i actually don't remember who he just basically kicked out of his little chamber but it has his head his like full fucking huge ass head cast on one side of the room and then on the other side is like um, the shadow of a globe, and then yeah. it cuts, and then he's inside inside the globe, like his head is inside the globe, and then he exits frame. Like, felt like he's like leaving the world behind. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it it's it's like, what do I take priority in? And then the priority is in self. Uh, when at first, you know, obviously he's preaching like to a certain degree selflessness um, in trying to trying trying to create unity. Um, but in the end, obviously, it's a, it's a more about power than, than anything else. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, there, there's a lot of talk about establishing Russian unity. And he, he keeps uh, subtweeting the Boyers, who, uh, if, for, <laughs> for people who don't know, the Boyers are basically, it's like an Eastern European title for just, like, high-ranking royalty, more or less. They're, they're like, you know, fe- feudal higher-ups is more or less what the Boyers are. But the Boyers, like, from scene one, are not down with Ivan as the czar and are plotting against him. And um, so in this sense, it kind of sets up, and obviously this was Stalin's angle in wanting this film to be made, but initially just for audiences anywhere, it's like, it sets up Ivan as like someone to root for initially where we're like, yeah, all these, all these Royal scheming fucks want to take him down. Like, fuck them. Unite Russia, man. But then as it goes along, we, we see how absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we see Ivan become more vindictive and darker in his aspirations. And even in part one, which, you know, is the one that Stalin approved. It's like, there's a lot of 
psychological stuff and trauma and confusion and like darkness in what's supposed to be like a pure propaganda movie, which is just kind of funny in that sense where it's like, yeah, yeah, Joseph Stalin, you you didn't see where this was going. Yeah, no, literally just goes to show you, dude. I mean, I mean, in all in a lot of these films where they critique uh, higher politics or people in politics, uh, they do paint them out to be to be idiots so you know stalin stalin not catching it what does it say i don't know yeah like like that uh, only makes the movie itself kind of smarter in like it's political stuff no yeah for sure it, it makes me think of like this movie is like almost the opposite of uh um 47 ronin i mean like a l- similar and different obviously like formally it's completely different but in terms of like it's showing off what is supposed to be like this uh group of uh political people like basically creating a country and just being amazing and whatever it's just like the most boring thing you've ever watched but intentionally so uh-huh. it's not actually that boring but just in that like it, it duped the people who wanted mizuguchi to make it just like you know um eisenstein kind of duped stalin so well because if you think about it like really if you are a student of film, you can, you know, obviously convey things to people who are looking for them, whereas, like, general audiences wouldn't. So why the fuck would, like, Stalin know if he's just, like, you know, essentially a, a normie viewer, you know? <laughs> like, right, exactly. Like, he probably had really basic taste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he probably had only seen, like, City Lights and Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah, literally. But, um, yeah, and then... uh as as we get into part two, I, I, I think the, the both the similarities and differences compared to part one are really interesting because I, I keep saying operatic and it's like, I don't think that's wrong, but it's a little too simple for what this is. Like it's operatic sure. in terms of just the size and explicitness of like the performances and like the dramatic oh, yeah. gestures in I that mean, like, sense. A, a lot of things are operatic. I mean, literally even like outfits and staging and, and the music even you know at times so i think it's a fair fair way to describe it maybe there's a better term but i understand what you're saying for sure yeah and this also definitely applies to a star wars 3 but um it's it's interesting how like you have that going on but then putting that within a cinematic gaze like just totally kind of not even changes it but just like adds a lot of nuance to it because you can have like these big performances that convey one thing but then the way that they're shot or lit you know makes the meaning of it completely different so it's just a really cool fusion of like dramatic modes in that sense no 100 percent, 100 percent. so uh we, we've sort of mentioned just at the beginning that part two is is probably not even probably definitely like darker and more psychologically intense i guess in part one, sure. just like, you know, it, it progresses to that point, of course. But um, the structure of it's really interesting because we get a flashback, like very early on, like five, ten minutes into the movie that shows the Boyers killing Ivan's mother. And it sort of sets up his just intrinsic opposition to this like royal group. And there's this shot that really stuck with me the first time I watched this and hit even harder the second time where um, as they're like dragging her away young Ivan is like holding on to her and their faces are pressed together. And then she gets like pulled away from him. Just a super Gnarly. striking image. Gnarly. And dude, yeah, the similarities between this and star Wars are actually 
pretty fucking crazy to be right? <laughs> right pretty crazy like the more you talk about it the more it's like oh shit oh yeah oh yeah yeah totally um, like vengeance against the people who killed your mother it's a big thing in the star wars prequels yeah and just generally i mean we can talk more about the similarities maybe as we get into star wars but both are just operating on a very high wavelength of drama and both are broadly operatic in this way we've been talking about yeah and a lot of the drama does stem from confusion you mentioned it earlier but like this kind of gray space where like ideologies are then misguided from emotions or like misguided because of emotions but Mm -hmm. like at the same time like those ideologies might not have been right from the start so you get basically ivan who's constantly kind of caught between obviously trying to rule his friendships his his past again with like his mother being murdered and obviously his wife being poisoned as well uh in a similar manner it's kind of like um a self-fulfilling prophecy which again star wars yep yep it's 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 crazy but um yeah i i don't know i just think like even as like an audience member you find yourself either kind of agreeing or feeling for ivan but also you know seconds later completely rejecting him and you're kind of riding that line the entire movie which i think uh, both films do super well um, totally i i totally agree he's, he's a very interesting character in that sense and um like the moments where he you know is struggling uh with like i i forgot his name as well but uh the guy who went off to be a priest and comes back and right, he's right. basically begging him to not go and he just wants a friend um he just wants someone to be close to him and it's quite sad but at the same time it's like you took this position of power so like you have a certain responsibility your loneliness is like you know your own creation to a certain degree Um, right right exactly it's like we we feel for him in terms of his experiencing that loneliness but then we also see how he goes on to rule and it's like you're you're kind of digging your own grave but at the same time it's like we've seen his history with the boyers and everything so there are a lot of contradictions going on that are very just like intense and lead to this confusion that we're talking about on a very deep level yeah and he even actually ends up killing someone who basically i think is leading the life that he would have wanted to live or at least had the dreams that he aspires to have in his own life which was his cousin yeah i think he says the line is like i just want to drink and like live in peace or something like who the fuck would want to be a the czar <laughs> right yeah and then he just fucking sets up the most savage fucking like, little assassination the of end. all time yeah that that switcheroo uh, is is truly like the biggest dunk on the boyers he could have done <laughs> yeah no it's so crazy when his aunt runs out and is just like see ivan is dead and even steps on her own son's body without realizing it it's just <laughs> yeah. like oh my god dude i just had my hands like pulling out my hair yeah it's, it's fucking brutal because basically if you haven't gathered um vladimir his his cousin he he basically is is like yeah well you, you want to try being the czar he like because when vladimir gets drunk he starts talking he like kind of mentions that there's like this plot to kill ivan after which vladimir would replace ivan as the czar and so 
Vladimir gets all dressed up in the czar's clothing. They they go out there. He gets fucking murdered. And of course, they think they're killing Ivan. And uh, yeah, no, turns out that uh, Ivan's aunt ended up actually killing her own fucking son. Yeah, which is, you know, kind of divine retribution for her, like, murdering a lot of people and uh, kind of just being a major, major uh, bitch the whole time. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I can't say I, I felt too it. bad. I felt kind of bad for Vladimir just because, again, he was just, like, obviously um, kind of a dunce, just kind of an innocent dunce and uh, just had been born into that life. But, uh, you know, whatever. Right, exactly. Uh, agreed. Like, I, I feel kind of bad for him in, in that exact way. But in terms of the ant, it's like, like, I don't want to say it's satisfying because it's obviously pretty fucking evil from everyone's angle. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's dramatically very satisfying. Yeah. But yeah, but before we get to kind of, I mean, I guess we already sort of started talking about the end of part two, but there's there's a very obvious formal choice that we should discuss in a second. Um, oh, sure. Before that, though, I, I just kind of want to talk about broadly how both these movies and the Star Wars prequels, in, in my mind, are kind of prime examples about how artifice can be employed to reveal truth. Like, the, the heightened mode of performance in this, it sort of strips away any of, like, the quote-unquote realistic self-consciousness or, or barriers that human beings normally have when they present their psychologies in real life. Uh -huh. It's like, you know, if, if I'm sad, it's like I'm not going to be walking around sobbing and wailing. I'll, I'll hide it and be like, yeah, I'm fine. And I might seem a little dour, but like that'll be it. And then in these modes, it's like that sort of stuff is generally stripped away. You know, I mean, certainly there are some instances of characters being two-faced and shady and whatnot but in terms of how like we the audience receive their psychological dispositions through the performance it's it, like it's just a great example of how that artifice and the explicitness of it leads to just like a direct rendering of these human truths yeah totally and then the performances in tandem with just everything else like just the general like rhythm of the film and the way that like the music and the the cuts, the montaging, like what we mentioned earlier about light, um, all these things just contribute to like this really bombastic, um, just overall bombastic form that like again doesn't. It sounds like it, maybe, maybe the emotions or the ideas or these truths become very obvious because of because of it, but like because they all work so well together. It just like it just feels amazing to watch, um, right? Right, for sure. And there's sort of like, and I feel like this is the case with a lot of great art. This is definitely something we've talked about before. But like, there is definitely complexity that emerges through the directness. Sure. Like what we were talking about earlier in terms of like Ivan's motivations and our sympathies towards him and everything. Yeah. It's like a lot of that stuff is nuanced and complex and not necessarily obvious, even if other elements of it kind of are. Yeah. I feel like one of the big things that part two is known for, at least this is one of the first movies to do this from the Soviet Union. Um, it shifts into color. The, the both movies have been in black and white up until the end here. And it's during this, this big banquet sequence. And so, you know, there, it's a big dance going on. And when the color kicks in, we see they're surrounded by these red walls 
which makes the whole thing just like, I mean, it obviously heightens the expressionism, but it, it makes the whole thing just begin to look satanic. Oh, yeah. It looks so fucking evil. It looks so evil. And even, like, the characters' faces, I don't know if it was, like, the makeup that they had on or just, like, the film stock itself or, or, or what made them. They all look, like, gray, as if they're just, like, dead dead people existing and, like... <laughs> Uh, right? Uh, it, it, it was just, yeah, shocking, just visually, visually shocking. Totally. And yeah, I, I noted the same thing, how like there, there's like a tiny bit of green in there too with the red and th- that grayness yeah. you were talking about. It makes them look sickly. Yeah. Like it makes them look like they're all fucking dying. Like like you said, it's, it's incredibly striking. And then with, with that going on too, it's like you have in terms of the artifice we've been talking about, I feel like in, in this final, these final 20 minutes or so, it kind of became clear how it's like, there, there's this politicking going on, like amongst literal theatrics. So yeah. it, it makes the politics as theater parallel very apparent. But yeah, I mean, this is clearly just a very bold, formal choice that completely pays off. It's so striking. It's beautiful, but terrifying and ugly. And like you said, it just, it looks fucking evil. Yeah, it looks so beyond evil. And like you said, yeah, just so striking in the moment that it happens when you're not ready for it. It's just like one of the most shocking transitions of all time. And the sequence is just, I mean, like mesmerizing as well, like watching bodies and like these big dresses spinning around on the floor as everyone's running in opposite circles. Like the way that Eisenstein has his characters move within each cut is what makes like these super dizzying sequences that, are just crazy because I mean, obviously nowadays and in, in even star Wars, when the montages are happening, the, the cameras are moving, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's pans and tilts and right. whatever else, but most of the shots here are like static. And the way that he just creates again, these insane movements with a static camera are, are something to behold for sure. Yeah. 100%, 100% agree. It, it's, you know, very unfortunate that we didn't get a part three, but even without it, it's like this is a very complete depiction of these royal machinations and the effect of power on the psyche and everything. Just two really, really excellent films that are were even better for me rewatching. Yeah, um, I agree. Definitely, definitely agree on the, the rewatch. Improve. I mean, it, it was already amazing the first time, but just, yeah, I mean... Totally agree. Um, I guess we can just jump into ratings because I don't have much else to say. Uh, what do you think you are rating part one and two or them collectively as one? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to rate them collectively because they have the same rating, which is five stars out of five stars. Um, like one of those things where it's like it's almost just kind of undeniable or it's like this is clearly just like a master fucking mining all mining every depth of the form to create this like beautiful terrifying potent depiction of all these things really excellent stuff but then even beyond that it's like i really just love this kind of stuff i love anything that's about manipulation and political maneuvering and everything so it's like i I think it's masterful no matter what but then also it's just stuff that i like so yeah i totally loved these uh what about you yeah we are on the exact same page double five so a five. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's just like formally beyond stunning, especially when you put it in the framework of it coming out in the the 40s. And um, in addition to it's like immense expressionism, like you said, the political maneuvering and bringing to light like the evil that exists within just those powerful hierarchies. And, you know, even even the commentary on the church and their part in it and all these things. 
like just together really create not even just potent like real shit that we need to think about but also just compelling cinema you know like it was like shocking and engaging uh and i was enthralled through and through so yeah vibes for me as well excellent well we will be back shortly to discuss star wars episode three revenge of the sith now it's time to get on to george lucas's uh star wars episode three revenge of the sith uh and kind of like jerry said i'm sure we'll dabble in um, Phantom Menace and, and Clone Wars as well, but uh, primarily focusing on, on Revenge of the Sith here. Um, Jerry, what is your relationship to Mr. Lucas, the Star Wars, you know, franchise as a whole even, and um, your, your your little reception, I guess, to, to Star Wars? Yeah, um, I, I was definitely a big Star Wars kid, and specifically the prequels. I feel like our generation, like a lot of people our age, like we grew up with Star Wars, but specifically we grew up with the prequels because these were the ones that were coming out when we were alive and when we were kids. So for me, at least loved Star Wars specifically loved the prequels. I watched um, attack of the clones like constantly as a kid. And then when three came out, I think I was like seven when it came out, then that became the one that I watched constantly. So I've seen these movies just like, an absurd amount of times episode three specifically like is like top three movies I've seen the most times in my life, partly just because of how constantly I would watch it as a kid. Yeah. And I've, I've seen it over the years. I hadn't had a real like proper prequels rewatch in a while. And I always really liked them, but I feel like when I, when I was like a teenager, I sort of started subscribing to the conventional wisdom that like, Oh, like, you know, like the, the acting's bad and the dialogue's corny, yada, yada, like that sort of stuff. Sure. E- even though I, I definitely still liked them. But then as I've gotten older without, you know, but before I drop my official take on episode three, as I got older, I, and especially this past rewatch, I kind of decided that I really don't give a shit about any of that. <laughs> so yeah, no, 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 for sure. So yeah, long, long story short, these were huge for me as a kid. And I still think there is a lot of really, really interesting stuff about them. Uh, what about you? Yeah, uh, well, I will say that probably the Star Wars franchise is the only existing franchise that I have, like, nostalgia bias towards to a certain degree. Um, I used to go up to my, my grandpa's on uh, uh, in the San Juan Islands every summer, and he had uh, everything on, on, on VHS. So mm-hmm. I'd actually probably watch the original trilogy more than the prequels, uh, just because that's what he had initially when we were going, and then eventually we got we got the prequels as well. Um, but I would watch them every single year uh, without fail, no matter what. And um, yeah, I was always in love with them. Um, although I know, obviously, Empire Strikes Back. And well, how how much um, how much did George Lucas contribute to the Return of the Jedi and the Empire Strikes Back? I know he wasn't like full on. Right, because uh, he didn't direct either of those. Um, I, I, yeah. I know he's. I think he's credited as a writer for like the stories. I don't think he did much of the actual like screenplay, but story was all him. A lot of the like art design and concepts and all that were got him. It. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I definitely watched the original trilogy a lot more, and uh, but I but I have seen the the, the uh, prequels, you know, numerous times, and then. Um, we kind of stopped going to my grandpa's house and then I kind of fell off the wagon and haven't probably watched any Star Wars related content other than, uh, whatever the one that came out in 2015 was. Yeah. Force Awakens. 
Force Awakens. I watched that, but I haven't watched any Star Wars property in well, almost that was almost a decade ago. So uh, God, that's crazy. yeah, it's probably been a decade since I've watched. <laughs> I know it's actually insane uh, since I've watched anything. So this rewatch or these rewatches because I watched all the prequels um, in preparation for three or the other two. Um, I really was kind of going in with uh, a completely fresh new set of eyes. I remembered, obviously, as scenes came, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this. Mm -hmm. But it was basically gone from my brain until that image appeared on screen. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's my relationship. I I, I like Lucas a lot, and I respect him a lot. And uh, especially on these rewatches, I'm sure I gained a, a whole new... A whole new appreciation because I, I I loved all the prequels. So, hell yeah! Well, I, I guess we can just get into our broad takes on three then, and then we'll get into the details. But um, this was always my favorite Star Wars movie growing up, and uh, yeah, it, it still probably is. I think it's really fucking amazing. Honestly, it's I mean, yeah. for I like you said about yourself, I definitely have a bit of nostalgia bias just because I watched this constantly as a kid. Like I even watching it yesterday in preparation for this. And I also rewatched all the prequels leading up to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I know these lines like the back of my hand. It, it's a movie that like, it's it's almost hard for me to look at in any sort of measured way because it's like, it's not even just a movie. Like it just is. It's that iconic to me where yeah. it's like, it kind of yeah. just is. It's hard for me to even think about it in any sort of critical sense. But But I attempted to yesterday and concluded that I think it's really fucking amazing. So what did you think of it? I absolutely agree. I thought it was fucking fantastic. I was completely, like, it's so funny because there's so many times where, you know, I can either watch something that I enjoy and see how people don't like it, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, or I hate something that I can understand why people like it. But it's not, this isn't everybody, obviously, but, uh, like, even my brother the other day was like, oh, I watched episode in two, two and three recently, and I thought they both sucked. Um, and I, and it's just one thing that I that I actually can't even comprehend why. I, I, I can't understand like what reasoning you could have outside of what you were kind of saying earlier, maybe about performance. Um, outside of that one thing, which I still think is which I still think is honestly pretty great. Same. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really don't understand why you would dislike the film. Um, so I was I was completely in love, and I will say I don't know if I like two or three more though. I, I like them for different reasons, uh, but I, I think I'm going to rewatch the rest of the films and kind of have a just a overall general take at what would be my favorite because now it's been so long that I feel like the, I need to watch the original trilogy as well. And maybe I'll even check out some of the Disney stuff. Yeah, too. episode eight um, is good. Episode eight is the, the Disney one that shines the most, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, two and three fucking both amazing films in completely different ways, but I, I I really, really loved, uh, episode three really loved it. So hell yeah. Well, the, the opening of this movie is fucking amazing on a few levels. Um, when this DVD came out, it was, uh, just after my parents had gotten surround sound in our little home oh, movie nice. room so that this was yeah. our go-to disc for that because oh, yeah. it starts on the the big shot of like the star destroyer type ship and then anakin and obi-wan's like fighter things come flying in from the side so it was immediately just a great like surround sound demo oh yeah. so even just like on that level i already have nostalgia for it but 
just in terms of like showing off the advancement of the technology. I mean, even today, oh, yeah. like, cause this movie came out in 2005 and watching it today, it looks fucking stunning. Yeah. It looked amazing. It actually did look amazing. It really like, does. I was, I was pretty, bl- I was pretty blown away to be honest. I wasn't, I don't know what I was expecting. Um, you know, because obviously, uh, Phantom Menace, you can kind of look past the, the, the CGI drop in real world type of stuff. Right. Like here, you don't even really even notice it. I mean, obviously you can at some points, but, but not really. No, I, I totally <laughs> if you're agree. you're invested, like you don't think about it at all. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, one thing I noticed with this one in particular is like the artificial lighting in this is, I don't, I don't even, I, I have no idea how, how it's, it's insane. Like in this opening shot, when we're following the ships, they like come up out of the shadow of the bigger ship and the way that the light hits their ships, like the artificial light and shadow on artificial things is just fucking amazing in this. There's also yeah. that bit later in the movie where um Anakin and Yoda, they're in Yoda's like office or whatever his little oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Chamber is. the blinds right right you have that chiaroscuro lighting on them and just like seeing that yeah. what i'm assuming is probably at least somewhat fake lighting on this fake alien's face and how fucking real it looks and then in this opening scene too there's like a little lens zoom out where it's like the fake camera imitates a real lens it's just a really like yeah no it's it's so insane did you uh real read uh neil Bahadur's like tumblr post on part two no i didn't dude like yeah he's just pulling up examples of things like that where uh when anakin is basically gonna go find see if his mom is alive or not Mm -hmm. um it has like real shadows on green screen background cut to full cgi set but then the background is actually a matte painting <sighs> that he's passing through it, it's just like absurd shit like that that is so creative and, and 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 no one is doing stuff like that that is just like yeah shockingly beautiful in a completely unique way um that is hard to put your finger on if you're not aware of what it is um and the effort and like creativity and stylization that is going into like pretty much each frame like <laughs> yeah totally um, just, just to let you know because we're recording this remotely I'm, I'm sitting over here nodding the whole time <laughs> um let's go but let's go yeah and i'm smiling ear to ear like i don't think I've, I've dropped a smile since we basically started talking about this movie yeah hell yeah I, i've been very excited for this I'm, I'm glad we're both gonna be able to fanboy out about it but um yeah yeah it, it's um just broadly with the prequels, definitely this one, but just all of them. I feel like the number one thing, which is kind of what we're getting to now, is just the the design, like not only in the actual visual texture and like the film language of it, but just like the the cityscapes, the different planets, the specific ships and weapons and God, the sound design. I mean, it's just that in, is ugh, yes. All of that is is like you said, just so imaginative, completely unique. I've never really seen anything like it to this day. Like just as as an aesthetic achievement, it's just kind of unparalleled for me. Yeah, well, it's like, dude, you know, I don't know, fucking Obi Wan or Anakin are are on a new planet, and then you know we're we're following them. They open up their ship, and then we just get like a quick, you know, like one one to two second insert of like, you know, I don't know super far out like above them in the hills there's like just some little creature that you've never seen before and then it goes away and cuts back to whatever they're doing Mm -hmm. and then you never see that creature again and just like small little things like that that are like so present throughout the entire film create like this just absurd world building and like 
I guess it, it, my own investment is just like heightened to a degree that wouldn't be that way if people, I mean, if, if, if Lucas was lazy and he's just like, not, not only is he not lazy, he's just like goes above and above and above and beyond in like creating just these engrossing spaces um, in, in, in every way that you just mentioned before. So Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's the key word is it just makes it like so much more engrossing with just how much detail is in the background of every single shot. Like there will be scenes where they're they're in the Jedi Temple or whatever and like you, you can pause it and just spend minutes like watching the ship traffic in the background and all these yeah. little things going on. It's completely stunning. It's it's totally insane. Um, and also, I mean, one one thing we got to get into, and this applies to all the prequels, but if we're talking about the, the Eisenstein influence, uh, Lucas himself is proved to be a, a master cross-cutter in these movies. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck, I mean, where do you even, where do you even begin? I mean, it's constantly be- between, you know, meetings at the, the Jedi table to wars being fought to inner turmoil with lovers like it, it it's constant in, in in all of them non-stop pretty much yeah yeah <laughs> totally feels like totally um, totally totally i mean because and, and it, it sorry go ahead, go ahead go ahead oh i was just gonna say because i feel like i mean obviously all the star wars movies have a lot of cross-cutting because the characters always get split up and so we're following different groups but like three even more than the others who i think it's like it's really non-stop like it's it's constantly creating scenarios where it needs to cut back and forth between things like in, in the whole opening sequence, when they rescue Palpatine, it's like, there's the bit where they get in the elevator and then R2D2 is dealing with the droids upstairs. And so we're cutting back and forth between that. Like it just gets going immediately. Yeah. And it just makes the form so interesting because like, it almost just feels like little vignettes that Lucas crafted where he's like, I'm going to make this section as amazing as possible. And then, it's almost like he had like mini side projects and invested all of his time and then just put slapped them together. But like I mean that in like the most you know praiseworthy way possible, I guess. Right, um, right, for sure because it's like and and just the world of Star Wars kind of allows you to do that because it's like there are no fucking rules. Like you can make up some yeah, new planet with yeah. any sort of aesthetic that you want because it's Star Wars. And they're all just 100%. so memorable. I mean, across all the prequels too. Like one of my favorites in uh in the second one, the the uh what's it called? Camino, like the clone planet. Yeah. So fucking yeah. cool. It's like this Dude, water I planet, mean, but then the interiors are all these it looks like a glorified Apple store, which I say in a complimentary way. Yeah. And even even like the the people who who make the clones too. I mean, it, and that's what I'm talking about, is where I completely forgot about these movies, but as soon as I saw the image, it was like, it's like the only film that I feel like I've been straight up transported back to the San Juans as a fucking, you know, nine-year-old or whatever. Like, like seriously. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I remember it exactly in all detail. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, it's it's really just a an incredible accomplishment. I mean, we we could go on for hours just talking about every little different world. But um, I, I guess one thing that I kind of want to talk about and maybe go into defense mode a little bit because, as we said before, the main thing that these movies get flack for is um the acting and like the writing, like the, the dialogue specifically. Which and maybe part maybe the artifice in part two. I think people probably have, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about part three. So. No, that, that, that's a good thing to bring up though, because that's definitely true. Just just the, the this new mode, like this new form that Lucas 
more or less invented definitely was like weird to people who were used to, you know, like the original trilogy basically being entirely miniatures and sets and everything. And there's all that stuff is going on here too, but there's all this digital stuff made to enhance it. And, you know, like all these things we were just saying, and no, you're, you're right. That definitely also threw people off. But, um, yeah, in terms of like the acting and writing and everything, I don't really have any complaints. Like there's certainly some corny lines, some corny deliveries or whatever, but yeah, I mean, a couple times you get, you get a, a, a I hate to say it, but a, a Marvel quip here and there from you and McGregor or like C3PO or something. That's like, kind of like, okay, all right, sure. sure. For sure. But for sure. Outside of that, like, dude, I think Hayden Christensen is amazing. <laughs> yes. Like, like genuinely like, dude, his little like smoldering stare that he would, dude, it's perfect. Yeah, his looks could kill bro. And, and oh my God. His little, like, when he gets his leg sliced off at the end by Ewan McGregor. I mean, that whole scene is just like... Oh, it's devastating. Oh, my God. It's devastating. But the way he says, I hate you, like, literally my whole body just, like, shot up. I was fucking... I I just got chills chills. right now. Literally, literally. It's unreal. Honestly, unreal. I thought thought he was fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. I I, I really don't understand any any of the flack, like you were saying. it just doesn't register for me. No, I, I totally agree. And it's like, I, I feel like sometimes people, like, because, you know, Anakin, the character, more so in Attack of the Clones than this one, but definitely in, in both of them, it's like, you know, he, he's kind of whiny, he's kind of emo, but it's sure, like, that's that's sure. just who he is, you know? Dude, but can we talk about how much of a fucking Riz Goblin is, he is? Like, holy yeah, fuck. Yeah, man. In, 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 in episode two, bro, he is <laughs> fucking throwing it down for Natalie Portman, like, he he earned earned the right to to get with her. Like some of the lines, I was like, "God damn, bro!" Like I forgot what he was saying. It's something about how when they landed on the the planet that looks like they're in like Rome or like Tuscany or something, and she's talking about the sand. He says, oh, "I hate the sand. It's so coarse and grainy." And then goes on to talk about, but but on this planet, it's so smooth and. Uh, I forgot ex- the exact words, but he starts like touching her skin when he, when he says it. I'm just like, God damn, bro! <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and you know what? Absolute. That line, the sand line, is probably like the most hated on piece of dialogue in this entire trilogy. I see what? it. I see it constantly. I see it. Are fucking, you serious? Yes, I see it fucking constantly. It's like used as like the pinnacle of bad dialogue, and I I totally agree with you. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> no, dude. Any if 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 any girl had someone say that to them, they'd be, like, so shocked. Like, I mean, it, oh, you could say it's corny, but if, if it was used on you, trust me, game over. Yeah. T- Actually game over. Totally, totally. Well, and it's also the sort of thing where it's, like, this is Star Wars. Like, they're they're not going to, like, you know, court each other the way that people do in fucking Milwaukee, Wisconsin. No, 100%. Oh, my God, you just had so many good lines. I mean, I put this one on my Instagram story, and you saw it. But, like, when they're talking about the relationship and – uh you know, maybe maybe I felt even more connected. To, <laughs> I want to say that I felt connected to Anakin so hard <laughs> in this moment. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna justify any of the the, the youngling killings or <laughs> any of the ridiculous stuff he does later. But when he and Padme are discussing their future together, and she's saying that she can't be with him, or they can't be together, one because of the Jedi law that is basically basically abolishes love. Yeah, no attachments. And, you know, and and her ties to the senate um he says you know you're asking me to be rational that is something i can't do and um 
you know, just for the viewers real quick, me and my girlfriend broke up recently for what I felt like were, were kind of similar, similar reasons. It was, uh, finding career paths in life and, um, and finding that love and we just didn't see eye to eye on it. But, uh, yeah, I just really resonated with him there. And I thought that line was like, when love is in the equation, like there is no room to be rational. And that's just like a fact of life. Um, right. Cause love itself the only isn't rational. Yeah. 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 Even though at the, the same time, sense when you're experiencing that emotion. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I, I also, <laughs> I just gotta say when I saw that you like put that on your Instagram story, I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, we're in for a banger episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. That, that really struck, that really struck a chord the other night. Um, I will say so anyways, we don't have to keep talking about that, but, uh, regardless, I just thought there were so many moments, especially between, um, Anakin's love for Padme that I just, thought was like insanely haunting and beautiful like these films are so haunting because there's like this impending doom and again we talked about it with ivan but like this confusion that exists constantly um in in anakin's existence and he's such an interesting character again because he's he's born a slave and basically is kind of to a certain degree enslaved in different ways for his entire life. Yeah. Like he's enslaved um, by the Jedi in these later movies. Yeah. And, and, and not in the sense that like, he doesn't have any autonomy like before when he, I forgot the, the mom, the, the little fly. Me, I think. Um, Shmi. Oh, well, like Watto. Literal ownership. Uh, no, no. Who, who, who owns him in, in Phantom? Watto. Menace. Watto. Yeah. And then Smee's It's not mom. the same. Obviously he has some autonomy in, 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 um, the Jedi, but things like love and not being able to act upon something that become is so natural to being uh, a human being, as if like the Jedi live above being humans. Um, that like that in itself was an enslavement because that's the only thing that he wanted from the moment that he met Padme was to like experience this genuine, beautiful love that he had for her, and that was is stripped from him. Um, and even just morally, I mean, the opening of Revenge of the Sith, um, we have basically he and Obi-Wan at odds with each other just right from the start in terms of saving this clone, It Obi-Wan saying leave him, the clone dying. It, it's kind of like what, between right and wrong morally, it, it is such a gray line in this film. And I feel like throughout the entire thing, it's it's just... Anakin at odds with what is right and what is wrong and it genuinely is challenging it's not even like super obvious things obviously until later on when he he fully fucking snaps um but all the things that lead up to that snapping moment are are genuinely like confusing things to kind of you know grapple with um and I just found that so compelling and so interesting and and uh obviously Jerry, you know this, but I, the, the, I'm always a huge fan of just the simple story of good and evil, but then creating that gray and that black and white and how evil can be spawned from good intentions that are misguided, which, you know, are the Jedi filling Anakin with these, these ideas from the start that he's destined for greatness, that he's the best, that he has the power to save all Jedi, but then bar him from really having that those moments to prove himself or 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 feel justified in those ideas that have been instilled with him instilled with him from those people from the start so then when you have people like 
Palpatine kind of feeding in this this opposite end uh, and really actually encouraging you, it's hard not to like at least understand Anakin's transition. Yeah, um, totally, totally. Well, and in terms of making like the story of good and evil gray, it's like just in terms of like how the you know the Star Wars fandom receives these movies and everything. I think that's also why people were kind of taken aback by the prequels because it shows the Jedi as being like flawed and kind of dogmatic and like they basically enabled the rise of fascism yeah yeah (laughs) more or less and uh yeah but you're you're so right there's so many shades of gray and like anakin's whole thing obviously in the later half he's he starts doing appalling things that don't really have any justification you can't justify yeah but it's all coming from a place of like fear and love and like him wanting to save padme and seeing no other way to do it so it's like Obviously, it's horrible, but it stems from a very human place, which only enriches the original trilogy in terms of who Darth Vader is and everything. Yeah. But yeah, I I think also something that I really appreciate so much more about the prequels now compared to when I was a kid was um, I like because people complain, especially with Phantom Menace about, oh, like there's too much politic and yada yada. And I I think all the political stuff in these movies is fucking insightful and on point and great. Because it's like, in in terms of the rise of fascism and the empire in these movies, it's through fear and manufactured crises, like whether that's a war, like we see Palpatine, you know, leading the separatists as the emperor and then being on the side of the Republic as Senator Palpatine. But, you know, so he's, yeah. he's initiating this war to create a reason to grant himself emergency powers, but then on, an inter- on, blah, then on an interpersonal level, like with Anakin... He's, you know, creating the potential of Padme dying and like, you know, bringing forward these quote unquote solutions to make him more afraid and like see this as a way out. It's all just very smartly done. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just how, you know, the the Jedi just play into Palpatine's plans like nobody's business the entire time. And you're just yeah, you're just slowly watching again without justifying the later shit <laughs> um, <laughs> you can really see how like both sides basically create this this absolute fucking monster and and you can't do anything else but shrug your shoulders and say yeah like you both fucked up you literally both fucked up yeah totally totally and also just in terms cuz we were kind of talking earlier about how we think Hayden Christensen's amazing in these and that they're like good as dramatic films and one of my favorite scenes is um the scene where Anakin goes to visit Palpatine at that weird like bubble opera thing and he sits oh, down yeah, yeah, tells yeah. him the whole Darth Plagueis story and everything yeah just it's like i don't know it seems like that is is where i look at the people who say that like oh these are poorly written and performed movies and i'm just like what are you talking about literally literally what are you talking about it's fucking shakespearean um, it's amazing yeah and even even like Introducing things that come in later that, again, ride that moral line. You know, at the start when he kills Count Dooku and he kind of goes, oh, this is against the Jedi way and ends up fucking decapitating him anyways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Super savage. Super savage, by the way. Um, Yeah, it's another quick thing. This is easily the most brutal of the Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's when we get our classic, do it. Uh, Is that the one? Yep, yep. He says it. And I love that, too. There are a couple times, like, there's that part. And then um, in that, like, bubble opera thing, the way he says, like, leave us. It's like you get little snippets of that emperor voice leaking out. Yeah, before he fully commits himself at the end. Yeah. But um, 
But he has that moment where, you know, he knows he's doing something against the Jedi. He's encouraged to do it, so he ends up falling kind of, like, into that pressure. But then later, Mace Windu is is going to basically stop um, Sidious or Palpatine, uh, or, or, or he finds out that he may be Lord Sidious, who they've been looking for. Uh, they have this moment where, you know, Sidious is defeated, uh, and... Anakin says, you know, lead by, we, we have to go by trial. And Windu is like, no, we have to kill him. We must kill him. Yeah, he's too and dangerous like, to be that kept That is also alive. against, yeah, but that is also against, like, Jedi ideology. So it's like, I don't know what makes it right. And that just makes it more confusing, which is why he ultimately fucking smokes Mace Windu. I mean, he doesn't directly do it. I guess, you know, Sidious still zaps him and after Anakin cuts off his arm. But, like, it's just having those moments where, like, the Jedi are speaking above or like earlier in the film, say one thing and then don't like abide by the same rules later on that, like make that line of those good and evil being like one in the same, just depending on like specific situations, uh, again, make just more complicated. I don't know. No, exactly. Interesting cinema. <laughs> totally. Totally. Like that, that's one thing I love about the prequels so much is how it shows that the Jedi are like, they're, they're hypocrites, essentially. Yeah. They're constantly contradicting yeah. themselves. They're constantly contradicting themselves. They enable the rise of the Empire and, you know, more or less enable Anakin's turn to the dark side just by clearly not being, like, a, a group that he can truly, like, confide in and grow within. Like, as we said yeah. before, it's like he he has to essentially like compartmentalize and keep all these aspects of his life secret because of this creed the Jedi have that, like you mentioned with the Mace Windu scene, they don't, they themselves don't even always abide by. So yeah, it's all, yeah. it's all very complex, like far more complex just on a textual level than these movies ever get credit for. Uh, I, I would like to talk about the music. Oh my God. The John Williams score, which I yeah, I got I got a couple references from my father, who is a, a vault of classical music knowledge. But even before getting into that, I mean, these are some of the greatest film scores I've ever heard in my fucking life. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I don't even know what to say. I'm not like a, a music aficionado, but I will say that yeah, they they made sequences just so again enthralling and haunting and beautiful and horrifying. Um, Star Wars would not be what it what it is without Mr. W William, <coughs> Mr. John. <laughs> Sorry, there we go. No, you, you got it. You got it. But yeah, totally. It's and in terms because we talked a bit about how Ivan the Terrible is operatic. I think the way that the prequels are most operatic is like the employment of music. I mean, first of all, it's it's almost constant. There are barely any scenes yeah, of silence. True. But um, so. Uh, Richard Wagner, like the opera composer, he used a lot of les motifs, which is like music that's tied to characters, like character themes, essentially, which are also in the original trilogy. Like, you know, there's the Vader theme, the Empire theme, that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, so j just that alone makes this so operatic. Like, you know, we, we cut to General Grievous and then hear the like everyone has their own theme the the music is like such a part of the emotional conveyance like more so than other movies just because of how directly tied to the characters and text the variation is 
But yeah, I mean, according to my dad, and like I got a little bit of this myself, but Williams is pulling from like so many different classical influences. Like there's Wagner, not only in the motif structure of it, but you have um, Mars from the planets. You have uh, Stravinsky from like uh, his piece, Rite of Spring. Um, the, the love theme, like the Anakin Padme love theme, a lot of Tchaikovsky violin concerto in it. It's just, it's a big, like the score is an amalgamation of all these influences from classical to opera. And just that amalgamation, just in the music alone, fits in so wholly with what Lucas is doing in terms of how he's taking westerns, noirs, big sweeping epics, like all these different things and just combining word and Monroe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like exactly. And, um, that's just so amazing too. And, and on, on a broader level, um, like since we're talking about influences and how these movies are sort of amalgamations of different things, um, like despite the new technology and like the digital, the CGI artifice and all of that, like the fundamental elements of like cutting based on like silent era fundamentals and like the traditional narrative themes, the big themes of good and evil. Like a lot of it is very classic, but then it's within this, you know, new digital mode of filmmaking. So it's simultaneously very traditional and like incredibly new at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's crazy to think about because I knew nothing about the music, but in terms of what you mentioned earlier about these films creating an impression a literal imprint on your brain like i'm you know the music obviously intertwined with everything else plays like a major role as to why you have those connections because they are constant when you revisit the love scene you get that and it's so beautiful it's not like it's overused in any way no no it does become like just ingrained in your brain because it's so fucking awesome and amazing um totally yeah so ian mcdermott is fucking incredible in this movie throughout like as palpatine and as the emperor of course but um yeah one thing that i always found hilarious that i also found hilarious this watch was um during his fight with mace windu some of the faces he makes are like oh my god so insane i also love his the noise that he makes when he first fight fights like Mace Windu and the other Jedis. When, yeah. Like, he throws his lightsaber down from his arm and does like the spin move. The, oh. dude, dude, literally like same thing. I got chills. I was like, holy fuck, that's actually horrifying. It's genuinely horrifying. Well, and like um, how we talked about how like the, the banquet sequence at the end of Ivan part two, it feels satanic. That's a moment where I'm like, oh, this is a fucking demon. Like this is yeah, like and, an and evil Carol force. There, his apartment is like fully red is it not isn't it like a full yeah red yeah room, yep the, know, the red so walls that, yeah that satanic evil kind of vibe is is definitely exuding in this as as well as the uh yeah that i haven't seen totally. but yeah he's fucking awesome man i mean literally throughout also just progression wise where you you kind of said it earlier but where he deviates from palpatine and kind of t- turns into sidious for like just small moments mm-hmm. where his voice shifts um, in tone and pitch or just delivery uh, where he almost slips up but it's not enough for anyone to like really raise any any questions right. and just the way that he plays both sides so perfectly what, do, what does he say when he first gets elected I, in um, 
in two, where he's like, I love the Republic. I love democracy. I love democracy. Yeah. And, 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 but he just is so straight faced and it's like, you, you can just tell right there. It's like, yeah, you're fucking lying, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. Lying um, through his fucking teeth after Jar Jar granted him emergency powers. Yeah. So funny that it's Jar Jar too, which, uh, yeah, know, we can blame a lot George of this. Lucas's dream, dude, of, uh, Jar Jar being the mastermind. Jar Jar is the key to all of this. Like, like he said, Jar Jar is the one who basically, made Palpatine, you know, the the ruler during the war that led to this power grab. Like a lot of the blame does go back to Mr. Binks. Yeah, yeah. And uh but then obviously once he gets uh zapped and kind of like his face is like morphed into to Sidious, um he even like justifies it when he's up when he's like talking in front of um the senate again he's like and i only look like this because of my battle <laughs> or, or whatever yeah yeah but it's, he says uh like the attempt on my life has left me scarred and deformed yeah. <laughs> it's like all right buddy fucking sure killed me. fucking killed me but yeah he was he was horrifying his performance was fucking amazing just like the way the register that he gets in and like that gravel in his voice is just so yeah it's just so fucking scary man yeah, but it, it really is scary. Like, watching this yesterday as, as a 24-year-old, I kind of had the thought, I was like, it's kind of insane that, like, six-year-olds everywhere were just, like, watching this. <laughs> oh, seriously. I mean, I definitely have some some scary memories when I was a kid of of him among some other, other scenes in Star Wars. Um, that fucking creature in uh, that Jabba the Hutt, like owns or whatever that would like dump people in like, yeah oh yeah the, the uh the, pit thing right are, are you talking like the big mouth in the sand or like the thing yes, in like yes. yeah the, the sarlacc pit yeah that one i mean also like what's the one when r2 is kind of like in that like mucky garbage place and there's like, oh, a like monster on, that's like yeah on, on yoda's planet yeah that shit also scared me when i was a kid but anyways besides that um uh cool well let's jump into you know, one of the most intense uh, scenes in the entire uh, prequel trilogy, uh, the fight between master and student, or I guess one is the, the fight between master and student and then cross cut with uh, Yoda and and uh, Sidious going at it as well. Yeah, um, goddamn, this sequence I is mean, fucking incredible. Yeah, yeah. One of the most, like, just compelling action sequences of all time for sure like yeah yeah i, I was sh- again i was just I, thinking about all the stuff we've talked about i'm just like how do people not like this film right I'm sorry if there's anyone who's like who's not on the same page as us but like you need to you need to rewire your brain and and and, and reapproach these films because i'm sorry but you're, you're, you're just wrong i'm seriously you. you're actually just wrong yeah these please amazing please get on our level stop being so internet <laughs> cinema since brained gone yeah um, please but yeah also one thing within this that i want to point out because I, I think people generally like this but something i see complaints about here and there which is just so ridiculous to me is that um the the lightsaber fighting in the prequels is too dancey and unrealistic uh oh my God. it's star wars they're yeah. they're space uh, wizards the fighting up. in space who fucking cares yeah literally who cares it's funny that you mentioned that because uh there's like right when they kind of start fighting uh they're in like this this room that has like this big long table in it and and um both of them do like this like spinny motion with their lightsabers where like they're not even touching each other at all right just spinning them and my friend's like 
yeah, they didn't even try to touch each other there. I'm like, yeah, exactly. They were just admiring each other's fucking skills, and it looked sick. So, yeah, like, shut up, man. (laughs) Complaining about any aspect of realism within these movies is just, like, the stupidest way to approach them. No, 100%. Oh, my God. Sorry, I have the list of, um... I have the list of cast open in front of me, and for some reason, I couldn't register Joel Edgerton as... Narvel um, Roth, baby. Yeah, Mr. Narvel Roth himself. Um, I, I was like, who is that? I was like, for some reason, because he was so young, I just like couldn't put his name to his face. And I just saw his name in the credits. And, and sorry, just random sidebar just clicked with me. I'm glad I got that out of the way because it was really itching my brain. No, totally. Um, I, I literally wrote a note that just said Narvel Roth as Uncle Owen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god hilarious but yeah i mean the, the the last fight is just like again leading up to it you know the 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 little discourse happening between anakin and padme uh before he he ends up choking her and, and filling her with stress dude uh, when she says aside. Th- this is another thing that gets clowned on that i think is totally heartbreaking the way she says anakin you're breaking my heart Oh, like, like what? I, 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 like, I haven't seen any of this because I really haven't done that much reading or like stayed on, like stayed on top of anything related to these films. I'm too online. Like, I, I just don't f- f- fucking get it. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, Someone I don't get say, it either. Like, like, what was she supposed to say? Yeah, was she like, supposed to say like low key you fell off? Like, what, what, yeah, do, you, what do you yeah. want her to say? <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking get it, dude. Uh, whatever, man. But anyways, so you know, obviously. Anakin's mind is 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 in a fucking space that he just has lost complete control of himself where power has taken taken you know seize on his brain and that's the only thing of importance uh he's even lost what he he once year and foremost which is love even though he puts in the in the um framework of we can rule the world together but just that idea of like having to rule when they could just be together and even Padme please like we can just leave now and it can just be us like you yeah. don't need to do anything else. He's like, no, no, no. We need to fucking rule everything. But yeah, like he, he starts excitedly saying to her, he's like, I'm, I'm more powerful than the Chancellor. Like, I can overthrow him, and you and I can rule all of it. And yeah, it's like, you, you, yeah, see, it's like, you see her recognizing, like, oh, no, like, I'm not going to be able to, like, convince yeah, him otherwise. He's too far point. gone. Completely yeah. delusioned. It's so heartbreaking. Obi is in the background, bro. He's also just stanced up, stanced the fuck <laughs> yeah. up there. That actually cracked me up. I'm not gonna lie. So that's just, I, I, I was laughing pretty hard. No, same, um, same. When I watched it, um, because I literally like I was kind of tearing up during that scene, and then the cut to him did make me like <laughs> yeah. belly laugh. Yeah, because <laughs> oh just God, just that juxtaposition is just it's just so harsh. Yeah, um, feet like shoulder length apart, hands on <laughs> yeah. hips. Yeah, um, <laughs> but then that's what sends him over the edge, and it's just like you're basically you're cheating, you're cheating on me. Essentially, yeah, you're with like him. You brought degree. him here to kill me. I even made a joke earlier when when uh, Anakin was having a flashback, and and um, and uh, it, it had Obi Wan in it, where like he was like visiting her or something, mm-hmm. or he was saying, "Oh, it's gonna be all right," and you hear his voice. I was just saying that actually it was just Padme and and Obi fucking and since he's got Jedi prowess he he could go seven rounds he's like don't worry just like we'll we'll get after it in a second so maybe maybe Hayden just thought they were uh 
they were just sleeping together. That's Dude, I literally, I, I had the same fucking thought where it was like, what if Obi-Wan's <laughs> just fucking her? Because <laughs> there, there's there's a bit early on, it's when, because we don't see this scene happen, but it's like in the morning and Anakin's like, Obi-Wan was here, wasn't he? And she's like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's very worried about you. Like, it has the vibe of like, what was this man's doing over here? <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, but anyways, so the actual fight, okay, so we already said the fight is so fucking badass. I mean, like, all the lightsaber and choreography movements and jumps and just Stunning. even the dialogue between the two of them is just heartbreaking. You know, when, when, when Obi's just like, you are the chosen one. Oh my God. Supposed-. It's just like, it's oh devastating. God. Oh and then you, God. you said this earlier when we were talking about Hayden Christensen, but the way he screams, I hate you is just oh my God. shocking. Yeah. And uh, I also love the, the, the choice of lightsaber colors for them. Um, obviously Yoda and, and Sidious have green and red, uh, but both, um, Obi and, and Anakin have blue lightsabers because, you know, Obi is kind of a proponent in creating this evil and, and the line is just so gray at this point between the two of them that like there is, they, they are in that gray line, I guess. And I just thought that was like a very interesting choice to have them both have blue lightsabers, not like have Anakin have a red one and uh, Obi just blue or green or whatever. Exactly. Um, it's like, it's a microcosm of the movie's whole thing about like the, the lack of a divide between the Jedi and the Sith, between good yeah. and evil, these, these gray areas that we've been talking yeah. about. Yeah, there are just so many cool bits in this fight, too. Like, like early on, when uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan are going at it, there's this part where, he like, they're doing, like, some spin move, and Obi-Wan kind of catches his arm and tries to, like, slash his back, and he, like, blocks it behind his back. And it, it has just, like, such a force to it, where it's like, oh, that was, like, an attempted kill blow that, like, didn't work. Yeah, like, Obi Obi's for real about this. And, uh, I mean... Absolute savagery. Just fucking cuts off both legs and then just leaves him to fucking burn. Like, doesn't even bother to put him out of his misery or anything. It's just like... Which is also just so savage. It's just so savage. Yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of funny to think, like, the rest of Star Wars wouldn't have happened if he just, like, jogged up to him and, like, cut his head off <laughs> yeah. for good measure. <laughs> also, I mean, that part is pretty funny, too, when he's like, I have the high ground now. And it's like, is that really supposed to be, like, that much of an advantage? And then, like, he just jumps in the air and just fucking both, like, gone. <laughs> yeah, um, it's so funny the way he says it as if it's, like, something everybody knows. He's like, dude, it's over. I have the high ground. Like, let's just stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Anakin's ego says, nah, bitch, high ground doesn't mean shit until he gets humbled real quick. Yeah, um, he, he thought he was underestimating his power, but nah. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so obviously there's a really cool fight alongside Yoda and Palpatine in, in, in the Senate space where, yes. you know, fucking Sidious is hurling these fucking Senate chairs left and right. And, you know, Yoda's obviously so fun to watch fight because, one, he's obviously CG, so they can let him do whatever he wants, but he's just fucking spinning in circles and he's so small and agile that it's just sick watching him just do all these crazy fucking moves. Yeah, there's there's this amazing shot early on where they're they're in that like center console thing and it yeah. like rises up into the Senate chamber and it cuts back to this like super wide shot really far back where you see all the seats surrounding them and you can just faintly make out the sabers flipping around and everything so sick. it's so unbelievable sick. and then there's something symbolic in that scene too where the, the way that palpatine is just throwing around the literal tools of democracy as like play yeah. things 
Yeah, like, well, because, yeah, I mean, he literally fucking played everybody for a fucking loop the entire time. Every time he was in that space, he was doing the same thing, just uh, not literally. Right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and then, um, yeah, so we then we get to one of the most just galaxy-brained, no pun intended, cross-cuts in all of Star Wars, which is the birth of the twins cross-cut with the birth of Darth oh, Vader. my God. Dude. incredible yeah it was it was so chilling man like i use the word haunting i don't know if i use it too often or i use it too lightly but i really only use it when i'm describing something that truly has like a, a profound effect on me and like gives me this sense of like like isolation destitute like like there's nothing I, it, I don't even know, but as soon as you just see Darth Vader being put together and yeah, Luke and Leia being being born, it, it, it is obviously the idea that you know Luke, Luke is Luke and Leia are, are the hope of the world, and there is no hope left with with Vader as he finds out you know later on that that Portman's dead or Padme's dead. Um, but yeah, such a fucking haunting sequence, man. Like I same thing had chills the entire time. I was basically just like sweating during this whole last like thirty minutes. Yeah, totally. It's also really gnarly. Like, you see the, like, surgery robots, like, peeling off charred skin and shit. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he's it's screaming. and It's so fucking dark. And then there's the shot when they're, like, lowering the Vader helmet onto him. You see his eyes widen as it, like, gets closer. Where uh, it's like, this is my new reality. It's, it's, I'm getting chills talking about it. It's yeah. fucking incredible. Yeah, and it's also really brutal because you know that, that Padme is dying, like, Outside of, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy that, that um, um, Anakin had, had, had professed to her earlier in the film, right. uh, you know, even the robot says, yeah, she's dying and we don't know why sort of thing. She's lost her will to live. Mm -hmm. um, and that just shows how much she valued their love as well. And it's just like, oh, man, it's just so sad. It's just so fucking sad. Yeah, it's, it's totally, totally devastating. I, I, I will say... The one thing that's maybe just slightly too much for me in this whole movie, really, is Vader's big no. Oh yeah, true, true, true. That, that <laughs> it's a little OTT. I won't lie. I which, which, like, I, I, I really agree. don't care. Like, I really don't give a shit. In the grand scheme of things, it's so whatever. But, but I will say, yeah. like, that's it's just a little too much. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, Regardless, though, the whole climax of this movie is just absolutely stunning. It's, it's just totally uh, stunning. Sorry, and I also just thought of this this line because I just referenced it and I forgot to bring it up earlier. But like again, Anakin writing a line of just like being immature and being mature throughout the film and like certain scenes and like the one where he's talking to Padme or well Padme is trying to convince him that you know he needs to reframe his mindset and he's like no 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 and then he says something along the lines of um uh I have I I'll, I now have the power to save you from my nightmares. And yeah. it's just like, dude, do you not see the contradiction in what you just said? Like, but like that line also is just so many chilling lines, honestly. The the dialogue in this film is great. I don't give a fuck. No, agree, agree. It's fucking oh. incredible. So something and we, we would always say it in ways that made no sense. Uh. But like when I was younger, my friends and I would always say, like, anytime someone asked a question, basically, like, oh, like, can can we do this? Or like, you know, is this allowed? Yada yada, we would just go, not from a Jedi. <laughs> amazing it's amazing. it's insanely quotable and memorable and poetic and yeah i i i agree it's it's just fucking awesome 
Yeah. And then we get it. And then immediately after, it's just like, boom, 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 boom. First, we have the fight scene, devastating. Then we have, you know, the kids being birthed, Padme dying, Vader being born, devastating. And then we have the fucking funeral, the death of Padme, and the death of, of the Republic. And yep. Democracy and liberty and... And you see Everything her with, with the necklace he gave her as a kid on Tatooine. Yeah, dude. The birth of a fucking scary-ass empire as you see the Death Star being built. Like, that shit was just so perfect. Like, yeah. I didn't, again, I didn't remember it at all. And, like, I was straight up that whole last, like, whatever, 30 minutes. Or, I mean, the whole movie. But the last 30 minutes, I was just, like, over the fucking moon. Like, yeah. blown away. Completely, completely. Like, just the, the structure and the editing of this movie is, like so incredibly efficient but like potent like it, it lets certain oh my god i can't believe i didn't bring this up uh the scene right before anakin chooses to go to the mace windu emperor fight when he's in the jedi temple and he and padme are like looking at each other across the city oh my god so chilling oh my god oh my god, oh my god. it's so yeah. oh god it's yeah. so powerful Anyways, we could just keep gushing and saying, oh, my God, about every fucking thing. Do you have any <laughs> yeah. final thoughts on the film? Um, I mean, yeah, we, we've hit pretty much everything I wanted to hit. I, I think it's um, on a pure dramatic level. I think it's completely stirring and moving um, on an aesthetic level. I think it's totally unparalleled, completely visionary, amazingly conceived and rendered. And I kind of mentioned this before, but I, I think it's just incredible how a lot of the the ideas and the narrative and things like that come from a traditional place. And even like the editing construction, you know, we keep reading yeah. up Eisenstein. It's like, there's such a basis in like filmmaking and narrative fundamentals, yet the aesthetic and the new tech makes it completely new. And the fusion of that, I think is just yeah. totally stunning. There's really nothing else like these movies. So yeah, I absolutely loved it. So you could just drop your rating because you already gave your, your, rundown art we all know what it's going to be but you know it's yeah part of the it's, show. it's, it's, part, it's of the show. part of the show if, in case anyone couldn't tell it's, it's a five i'm giving it a five yeah and i'm just gonna double down exactly what jer said couldn't have wrapped it up better myself these films are amazing and honestly like i wouldn't be surprised if i'm gonna like kind of have to do some some more revisiting because i was just so so blown away by them um e even when we watch we watch phantom menace you know a what was it like a week and a half ago together? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I wasn't quite blown away by that one, but I was like, oh, this is surprisingly better than I had remembered. Mm -hmm. And then after watching two and three, I'm just like, yeah, I mean, but masterpieces. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 a, I'm a five as well. And I think I had given uh, Clone Wars a four and a half, but I, I think I'm just going to go back and, and drop it a five bomb because just the way that these two films function next to each other, I, yeah, unreal. So, Five for me, amazing, loved it. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Fives all around for the films discussed today. So yeah, Star Wars. Hell yeah, fuck yeah, good stuff. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we we if you haven't already revisited uh, the prequels before listening in, I hope that this convinced you to go back and and, and do it yourself. Um, and obviously, go check out uh, Ivan the Terrible Part One and Two because they're you know. Definitely amazing films as well. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next, next week. Goodbye, y'all. I've been Jerry Hartman. And I've been Sammy Holty. See you later. Ah!